Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88000. It is the holiday season. And so on that note, can we all just do this together? Can we all just take a deep breath? (sighs) Please don't forget what this is about. Please don't let yourself get so busy and anxious. Don't let yourself get to a place where you're feeling the pressure, culture and society and Don't let the enemy use anything or anyone to steal the peace that Jesus came to give us. And I think you have to be intentional about this because if you don't, you'll just slip into it. And you'll have another busy, stressful, expensive holiday season. And when it's all said and done, I just don't want you to miss Emmanuel, like God came, Jesus, to be with us. And we need his presence more than we need anything else. Amen? So I just feel led to pray for you right now. If, you're just, if you just feel like you're in a place that's like, man, the holiday season, family, maybe it, maybe it is difficult. Maybe you got in-laws that are really difficult for you or other relational dynamics, or or maybe it's a financial thing. I don't know what it is, but if you just feel stress, I want you just to kind of, to put that in your hand right in front of you, just symbolically, just put it in front of you, like in a closed fist. And we're just gonna bring it before the Lord. Father, we love you. We're not always good at showing it. I know I miss it. But most importantly, we know that you love us. And I just pray that as we're in the holiday season, that we wouldn't remember that it's about you. It's about your goodness and your faithfulness. All the other stuff should just be an overflow of our relationship and our thankfulness with you. So God, we bring stress, we bring anxiety, we bring fear and offense and comparison. We bring all those things to you. And I just want you to open your hands before the Lord and you just release it. Just say, God, it's yours. I trust you. I rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. One of the things that happens around the holiday seasons, as studies would show, a major component is that there's an increased rate of identity theft. A lot of that's just because there's more shopping, you know, Black Friday and all that, so credit card, credit card numbers are going all over the place. And so there's an increased rate of that, and, and studies would show that one in three Americans now, one in three Americans have been victims to some sort of identity 
theft. And it's getting more and more difficult to, to spot these things with AI and so many different things that are happening. Uh, and and I've just noticed that there's an increase in phone calls that are not even real people. And, and I, I miss maybe a dozen calls a day from a guy named Likely. Um, last name Likely, first name Spam. And uh, he is persistent. <laughs> uh, he really wants to talk to me. And, um, and, and so whether it's through those phone calls, lots of, lots of those types of things. Uh, recently, or it was a, a few months ago, but Cody got a call from the IRS. And, uh, and this guy from the IRS on the other end of the line, um, he could barely speak English. And uh, he told Cody that she owed some taxes. And if she didn't give them the information to pay those taxes, that she was gonna go to jail. And I'm sad to say that for a short amount of time, Cody believed this person. And so I walked in, thankfully she'd only been on the phone for a couple of minutes while she's upset. And I'm like, Cody, who are you talking to? She's like, I'm like, no, no, the IRS doesn't call you. I'm like, what are they saying? She's like, Apparently we owe a bunch of money and I've got to pay and if I don't, I'm going to jail. I'm like, baby, hang up, hang up. She's like, you can't hang up on the IRS. I'm like, what are they saying? And she's like, so explain to me again what's going on. And he's like, oh, ma'am, you must call, you must pay right, right now. Right? You have to go to jail. I'm like, baby. That ain't the IRS. That may be his initials, but <laughs> it is not the Internal Revenue Service, I promise you. I'm like, hang up. She's like, are you sure? I'm like, I'm sure. Hang up. So she did, but it was close. Cody almost went to jail, guys. <laughs> and uh, the fact is, Cody may go to jail, but it won't be because she didn't pay her taxes. It'll be because she hits me with a skillet or something like that, you know? So it's hard always to see those things and decipher it all. And, and it's interesting because I feel like the spiritual dynamic that's happening around identity is kind of keeping pace with identity theft and those types of things. There's actually a story of a guy in 2004, they found him unconscious behind a Burger King in Georgia and covered in red ants, half naked. And they found this guy, took him, took him to the hospital. Eventually he regained consciousness, but when he did, he couldn't remember anything. Complete amnesia, complete. Like didn't know his name, didn't know where he was from. And for 11 years, 11 years, he had a complete lost identity. Uh, in fact, the, the FBI investigated, tried to find family, tried with nothing. Dr. Phil got involved, okay? Dr. Phil looked for his family. Look, if Dr. Phil can't find your family, I just don't know what you're gonna do, you know? Uh, he can fix anything. And, uh, and so it took 11 years. And eventually 
because DNA technology got better, they were able to do a DNA test and they were able to find some of, his, some of his family. But 11 years was lost during that time. He couldn't get a job. He didn't have a legal identification, no social security number, nothing like that. So it was a really tough season. Could you imagine that though? Imagine that on one day, you know who you are, your friends, your family, you have all these memories, you have all this context. You know your past, you know what's happening in your present, you've got some plans for the future, and then tomorrow something traumatic happens to you and it's gone, completely. Completely gone, you have no context of your life. Ground zero, and you're just left disillusioned, trying to figure out what you're gonna do. That is exactly what Satan tries to do in your life every day to your true identity. Your identity in Christ, he is trying to destroy it. He's trying to steal it and he's trying to get you to forget it completely or have a false identity. There's a spiritual war going on right now, especially I think. The fact is that Satan can't create anything. Only God creates, he's the creator. Satan can only pervert, distort, or destroy. He can try to erase, but he can't create. But the thing is, Satan can't hurt God because God is infinitely more powerful than Satan. But what he likes to do is he likes to try to hurt God by hurting God's kids. That's what he does. And I, and, and, and I get this because I can handle somebody coming at me. Like if somebody wanted to insult me or, or whatever, somebody bows up on me, whatever, for the most part, I can just blow it off, even laugh it off, like whatever. But if somebody comes at Cody or somebody comes at my kids, you might catch these hands, right? As they say, uh, it, it's a different, it's just a different thing. You know, I, I wouldn't say that I'm a very good Christian when that kind of stuff happens. And the enemy knows that he can't hurt God. So, the, so what he tries to do is he just tries his best to try to hurt God by hurting us. And one of the ways that he tries to hurt us is by getting us to lose our identity. He tries to hide our true identity, distort our true identity, and ultimately he'd want to destroy it. Because if he does that, he, he can destroy everything that God has planned for you, everything that he intended for you to do in your life. And at that, he's succeeded in hurting God by hurting God's children. How does Satan do this? One, I think through the opinions of others. The opinions of others who use that. So your parents have said some things about you. Your peers maybe have said some things about you whether it's enemies or friends that have said things about you, when you live long enough, someone's gonna have an opinion about you that isn't accurate and maybe even mean. At one point or another, somebody's opinion is going to hit you right in the Insta X snap face. Those are all the social media platforms rolled up into one. It's gonna be right there. The problem is, if we believe those opinions, especially when they're not accurate according to the word of God, then they start to seep into the spiritual DNA of who we are. They can begin to change us and transform us. 
Also, Satan uses pain and hurt of your life. The hurt and pain of your life. The fact is, you will go through pain. And some of you, I won't even pretend to understand or imagine some of the pain that you've gone through. And if you haven't gone through very much pain, it's not if, it's probably when. You will go through pain. You will go through hurt. And when you experience pain, especially the pain of loss, you know, there, there are losses. There's loss of life that are so destructive and so damaging and so hurtful that even as a pastor, there are no answers. There's no answer to the answer why sometimes. But what I do know without a shadow of a doubt with full confidence is this, regardless of why or what or when that hurt and pain comes, when you experience hurt, when you experience pain, every time there are two people that wanna use that hurt and pain. One of those people is the enemy and one of those people is God. And in every case, the person who gets to choose who uses it is you. You have that choice. You get to pick who uses the hurt and pain. You can either fall right into the false lies of what the enemy would say, or you can lean into the truth that God promises that he works all things to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But you will experience hurt and pain. And sometimes you will experience that hurt and pain from the very people that were supposed to protect you and supposed to love you, supposed to take care of you. But if he can get you to be resentful, if he can get you to be bitter, if he can get you to be angry, if he can convince you that you're a victim, he knows you're gonna miss your true identity. All of us have experienced pain. I experienced pain growing up. Uh, I've shared some of my testimony when I was in like junior high, middle school, that, that time in life, I got picked on a bunch. I got bullied a lot. I got beat up. Uh, I wasn't able to, to have the nice, cool clothes that some of the other kids had. You know, I wanted so desperately to have some Reebok pumps. I mean, I wanted to have those Reebok pumps so much, but I, we couldn't afford it, you know? And so let me paint a picture of what, of what we were dealing with, all right? I, at one point, I'm wearing like solid red shoes, solid red Reebok shoes, okay? Now, now I would be like a trendsetter, right? But back then, they were not cool. We got them at an outlet store for like 10 bucks. And it just so happened that McDonald's during that time had a little jingle that went like this. When you believe in magic, and I hope you do, you'll always have a friend wearing big red shoes. And people would sing that to me. And I was wearing those shoes, some rustler jeans. Those are the generic version of Wrangler jeans, okay? Not even like Wranglers, but like the cheap version, rustler jeans. And then all I owned was like a bunch of cheesy Christian t-shirts. That's what we were dealing with, okay? So kids are mean. I got made fun of. But that really honestly wasn't even the worst pain. I remember some other pain that was much more intense. I remember at one point I, I got bullied and this kid that was bullying me picked a fight with me one morning at school and 
He was a lot bigger than I was and he just beat me up. He broke my nose and just pounded on my face for a little bit, two black eyes. And I remember going to my youth group, this place that was supposed to be there and love me and encourage me and support me. And I went to this youth group and as I'm sitting there, I'm listening to the youth pastor, as he begins to talk about how as Christians, we should always turn the other cheek if somebody comes at us. And then by name points me out in front of the other students and said, James didn't turn the other cheek this last week. He got in a fight. I'm sure that he feels shameful about that. And I'm sitting there with two black eyes and a broken nose thinking I did turn the other cheek and he punched it. Like <laughs> the full amount of cheekage that was available. I turned it and he just beat on it. Church hurt can be some of the worst hurt. Well, what I have noticed is this. It's gotten real easy to throw around the term church hurt. And what I've noticed more and more is some people say that they were church hurt, but really what happened is they were living away and making decisions and had a lifestyle that did not align with the word of God. And when brothers and sisters in Christ in a loving and gracious way try to confront them with the standard and truth of the word of God compared to their choices, they didn't like what they heard. And so they would leave churches. That's not church hurt, that's truth hurt. When you were faced with the truth, you didn't like what you heard. And so it was easier to say they're mean, they hurt me, instead of saying, no, I just ignored the conviction of the Holy Spirit and didn't agree with God's word and made my decision. And it's different. But there is true hurt that comes from churches sometimes. Honestly, a lot of people wind up in this church because they're leaving or going, going away from church hurt. And you and, and know what? I'm thankful. We've always been a church for people that may be fed up with church, but not fed up with God. And I'm thankful to be that kind of church. But I do want to tell you this. If you are church hurt, you have to let God do a work of healing. You have to forgive and release those hurts and those pains. You've got to speak those hurts and those pains, even by name of the people who did them, and forgive and release them. And if you don't, you'll just be in a cycle. Because at one point or another, there's a good chance we'll hurt you too. And not because we want to and not because we intend to, but because you have that wound of hurt and offense in your life that you never dealt with. And it's like walking around with an open wound and somebody just has to brush up against it. And it takes you right back to that trauma, takes you right back to that hurt. You've got to let the Holy Spirit bring healing and wholeness. And if you don't know how to do it, we'll help you. But there is real pain and there is real hurt. And if you don't deal with it, and if you don't know the truth, the enemy will use it to send you further into an identity crisis. Being consumed with our hurt and wounds, it won't just keep us from our personal identity and calling, but it also keeps the body of Christ from its full potential because we're connected. So if you're a wounded Christian that hasn't been healed and you're walking in a false identity because of that hurt and that pain, you're still connected to us. 
We still need you to be a healthy, functioning part of the body of Christ. So there needs to be some healing and truth brought into that hurt and pain. Also, Satan uses culture. Specifically, uses comparison within culture. Now, here's the thing. If you haven't figured this out by now, culture does not have a firm grasp on anything that will remain a lasting determinant of what is cool or relevant. If you don't believe me, all you have to do is look back a couple of decades at some of the fashion trends that we thought, this is it. This is the, the epitome. This is the height of fashion. Let me give you a couple of examples. This is from the 70s. Who doesn't need a belt sweater? I mean, that is just so scary. Like, that was it though. And then we have this gentleman. There's a lot going on there. Uh, I don't know about you, but when I go out to butcher my chickens, I like to wear all white. That way it looks like a horror movie when I'm done. I'm impressed by the mustache. Outside of that, I don't think that this is a good idea. The point is this. Culture cannot be the defining standard of what defines you. You can't go the way of culture. It's gonna miss it every single time. A lot of us, we're sitting here right now, we're like, yeah, I look good. But in 30 years, we might look back and be like, what were you thinking? So it's not consistent. Culture is a wave in the sea blown and tossed by the wind. It is sifting sand. But the problem is there's so many things around us that says, you should, you should do this. You should be like this. There's messages that are constantly bombarding us saying, why can't you be like that person, look like that person? You're too fat, you're too skinny, you're not strong enough, you're too weak. You don't dress like them. You don't parent like them. You'll never have their talent. You're never gonna have their ability. Why can't you be more like them? Why don't you buy what they buy and do what they do and fill your calendar with what they fill their calendar with? And comparison is a weapon the enemy uses over and over again to destroy your joy and rob your peace. Lastly, Satan puts thoughts in your mind. Okay, so let me be clear on this. You are responsible for your thoughts. You're responsible for them, but the enemy and people will suggest thoughts and introduce thoughts to you all the time. That is the primary strategy of the enemy. The battle is always waged right here first. Every sin starts here first. Every identity crisis because of sin started here. It starts as a thought. There is nothing in the word that suggests that the enemy can read your thoughts. So what he does is he tries to introduce thoughts and then influence your actions through those thoughts. That's his MO, that's his strategy, okay? And not even Satan specifically, but demons. But certainly we don't even have to give them credit. Culture does that all the time. People around us do that all the time. Family does that. Friends do that. And ultimately those thoughts, if they don't align with truth, 
We've got to figure out what we're going to do with them. How should we handle those thoughts? You've got to choose whether or not those thoughts stick or if they move on through. And the ultimate standard of whether or not that thought is something you should hang on to or let it pass on through is, does it align with God's word? Does it align with God, what God says about you? So one of my favorite scriptures, this is in your note, you can write it down, look it up later. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse three, it says this, for though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they had divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So every time a thought comes into my mind that I know doesn't align with what God says about me, his truth for me, I have to take those thoughts captive and I do it by applying the word of God. And there's tons and tons of scripture that you can go to that you can apply, and we're gonna talk about one of those. But here's the thing, Satan will suggest things like this. To be accepted by God, you have to earn it. Or things like, you don't really matter, you're not important, no one really sees you, you're not really loved. Or here's a newer one. You deserve to be happy even if the Bible doesn't support your decision. Or another one that the enemy's using a lot these days. God made a mistake with how he created and designed you. Or, you know that sin you committed? You'll never be forgiven for that one. Or, you should be ashamed of yourself. You will always commit that sin, so get used to it. All shame is from the pit of hell. None of it is from God. So the problem is when you repeat or act on these types of thoughts that Satan puts in your mind, he begins to have authority over who you are. So in 1 Peter, one of the verses that talks about the truth of who we are, there are five fingerprints to a true identity in Christ. We're gonna look at a couple of those in detail. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says this, you are, so he's speaking to your identity, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you're a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So I wanna highlight these five identity markers that are in here for your life in Christ. First, it says you're chosen. Circle that, you're chosen. It says you're a chosen people. It says you're a royal priesthood. I want you to circle that, highlight that. And then it says you're holy. I want you to, to circle that word holy. You are a people belonging to God. Highlight, circle that. Later on, it, it says it again. You're a people of God. Then finally, the fifth thing says you've received mercy. These are things that the word of God says about you. So let's walk through it. First of all, God completely accepts me. God completely accepts me. This is vital in my life, in your life, because 
We all have wounds. We all have struggles. And some of the deepest wounds in our lives often come from rejection. We've all been rejected on some level, I'm sure of it, by somebody that we cared about. How many of you have ever been rejected by somebody? Put your hand up. Some of y'all need to put both hands up because it's like, ooh, yeah, lots of it, okay? And if you didn't raise your hand, um, you just lied in church. And I really wish you wouldn't do that. It's not, be- it's not the best thing for you, okay? All of us have been rejected. I remember when I was 13 and I knew what love was. And uh, yeah, yep, I was really mature for a 13-year-old. And I had found the object of my love. I knew that Tiffany was going to be the love of my life. And I did everything I could to show her my love. And I went to extreme extents to show her my love. Uh, One day, I rollerbladed. How many of y'all rollerbladed? Okay, because you're cool. And I rollerbladed five miles one way to her house. Uh, And I didn't even know if she was home. And I rollerbladed back and forth on the street in front of her house for about an hour and a half because... If she was home, I wanted her to see I was pretty good on rollerblades. So I did my turns and my jumps. And then I rollerbladed five miles back to my house. Now, some of you might look at that and say, that seems a little bit like a stalker. And I would propose that that term is a little fluid. You know, it's very subjective and really just depends on your perspective. But I, I had a huge crush on this girl. And I, I mean, I just like did everything I could to try to impress her. But you know what happened? Even though I knew it was the will of God for me to be with Tiffany, you know what she did? She got a different boyfriend just a couple months later. Guess who the boyfriend was? My best friend. It hurt, guys. But eventually I got over it. It took a long time, about six weeks. And uh, and then I found the real woman I was supposed to spend. That was a process. But here's the fact. Most of what we've dealt with, it's much deeper than that. Never feeling accepted by people especially the people that you cared about and love the most will hurt your identity in Christ and your walk with God maybe more than anything else. The reason why is this, because if, if you have been rejected and if you've dealt with that rejection, but you didn't deal with it the right way and you haven't been healed from it, then you will project rejection onto God. And you will set people up to fail you for sure, but you'll also set God up to fail you because you'll always feel like you're just right on the edge of being rejected by him all the time. And that is an identity crisis. It's false. God won't reject you if you've surrendered your life to him. No matter how messed up your life was, if you've surrendered to Jesus, 
You've confessed him as your Lord and Savior. You're fully and completely accepted. The fact is this, you may have chose God, but he chose you first. He chose you first. The Bible says, while you were still a sinner, he chose you. And he chose you before everything. Ephesians 1.4 says, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight by his love. So I just want you to think about that for a second. It, it, it's so hard to wrap your mind around this. Before everything, God chose you in Christ. Before God made the oceans and the mountains, he chose you. Before he made this planet, our universe, he chose you. He chose you. That's how deep you are God's choice and his acceptance is for you. Before the vastness of space, God outside of time and space looked down and says, no, I choose them. I choose them even when they're rejecting me. I still choose them. He chose you first. Number two, I'm very valuable to God. Not only does God accept you, but he values you. You're not just completely accepted. You're extremely valuable. In fact, you are absolutely priceless because Peter's second description of your true identity is this. You are a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Holy belonging. Both of those words imply extreme value. What does holy mean? It means different and set apart. What makes something valuable? A couple of things. The first thing is, who owns it? Let me give you an example. Shoes, okay? Uh, my shoes, my shoes, uh, I'm proud to say, $35 at Marshall's. You can clap. It's, it's a deal, okay? I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Uh, but Michael Jordan's shoes. Recently, a pair of Michael Jordan shoes went to auction and sold for $615,000. Shoes. So clearly, who owns the shoes makes a difference. But here's what I thought. I'd like to auction my shoes right now. Let's just see how this goes, right? I mean, they're pretty nice. They're comfortable. I'm pretty sure I've gotten rid of most of my athlete's foot. So they're, they're relatively clean. And uh, let's just see what I can get, okay? We're not going to do that. But the point is this. Clearly, who owns any given thing will be a huge determinant of the value of that thing. You belong to God. The creator of the universe. That's your value. The other thing that establishes value is what somebody's willing to pay for it. Okay? So not only do you belong to God, but what was he willing to pay? For every time you walk into this room, you can look at either one of these walls and remember the price that God was willing to pay for you. 
So this may sound a little bit like heresy, but the fact is this. God valued you more than his own son. He was willing to exchange his own son for you. Now, you think, yeah, that's true for everyone else. Or, yeah, I want that to be true for my kids. That's important for them. But it's either true for all of you or it's not true for any of us. And the fact is, that's true for all of us. That's the price that he paid and was willing to pay and would have paid it even if it was only for you. That's your value. You're incredibly valued to God. God says, I'm fully capable, fully capable. First Peter 2, 9, you're a royal priest chosen to tell about the wonderful acts of God who called you out of darkness and into his, his wonderful light. You're a priest. You're like, what? Like me? Yeah. You're a priest. I want you to say, say, I'm a priest. You're like, that didn't feel natural. Oh, like how that didn't sound right. Well, the fact is, it's because you first had a good priest, Jesus, and he stepped in the gap. But I know some of you might have been raised Catholic and you're like, uh, I can't say I'm a priest. But the fact is, when you become a Christ follower, you step into that. You become that. Okay, so, but, but what does a priest do? A priest does two things. They represent people to God and they represent God to people. So the Bible says that you are fully capable of representing God to other people. That's a part of your calling. That's a part of your commission. That God, that's what God wants you to do. What are you supposed to do as a priest? Most of all, you're supposed to show and tell. You show and tell people about how much God loves them. You show and tell other people that they're fully accepted, that they can be forgiven, that they are valuable, that they are capable. In Christ, all of these things happen to you. And as soon as they happen to you, then God says, now you go and you show and tell to other people that they can experience the same thing. The fact is this, I am capable of handling everything that happens to me. This next week, I don't know what's gonna happen. This next month, I don't know what's gonna happen. We just finished the series on the end times and I, I hope I hope none of you came away from that series feeling fearful or feeling anxious. The fact is, as Christ followers, it should make us excited and it should light a fire under us that we need to be about God's kingdom and about his work. But yeah, there's crazy stuff going on around the world. I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't know when the next pandemic's gonna show up. There's a good chance there is gonna be one. I know that there are wars and rumors of wars and all the different things that the word says will happen in the last days. All those things are happening. I don't know what's gonna happen, but I know this. Because of Christ, not me, not my strength, not my wisdom, none of those things, but because of Christ in me, I am capable to take it on. 
I'm capable. Because Christ lives in me. And if you know that that's your true identity, if you know that Christ lives in you, that's some charge the gates of hell with a water pistol kind of confidence. Like, he's with me. Last verse, Philippians 4.13 says this. I can do most things through Christ who gives me strength. No. I can do the easy things through Christ who gives me strength. No. I can do the things that I feel like doing. Like if I feel, if I feel like doing it, I can do all things. No. What does it say? I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Everything, everything. That word everything in the Greek means everything. Try to stay with me. Everything. Yeah, so I don't know, but I do know this. I can do everything. So whether it's a holiday season, financial brokenness, relational brokenness, stress, anxiety, depression, whatever it is, it's real, but doesn't come anywhere close to the power of Christ in you. The same spirit that rose Christ from the dead, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead dwells inside of you. You can do everything through Christ who gives you strength. That's your identity. That's who you are. And anything short of that or different from that is not from Christ. It's not from God. If it doesn't line up with this, it needs to be taken captive and put down. Amen? Amen. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. When it comes to your true identity, you've either never known what it is, you knew, but you forgot, or it got confused, or you know, and now you just want to know more. Either way, you need his mercy and his mercy is available. Some of you, you were once without mercy and now because of the cross and because of Jesus, you've received mercy. But there's some of you, you don't know. You don't know who you are in Christ. Or you felt like you did. You thought you did. But you don't feel confident right now. You don't have peace. You're not, you're not sure or secure about your eternity. 
And I know that God would want you to leave this place confident that you know, that you know. It's gonna, it takes a lifetime. It takes a testimony. It takes years to, to continue to walk in the fullness of who we are in Christ. None of us have arrived at the fullness of that. But every one of us can have this foundational truth, this foundational hope that Christ accepts us. He values us. He's made us capable in Him. He sees us. Sees us. He wants us to know Him like He knows us. And if you're here and you don't have that relationship, the fact is, no one can make you understand this relationship. Only the Holy Spirit can bring somebody to a place of conviction. Only the Holy Spirit can bring somebody to a place where they repent, where they turn towards Christ. But if you're here and you've sensed, man, his spirit has been working on you because you have been in an identity crisis maybe your whole life. Or it's been a really long season where you haven't had any confidence in your identity in him. And either way, he is here to meet with you. And the Holy Spirit, if he's been speaking to you, I just want to encourage you. It's time. Respond. And I want to give you a chance to do that. The word says, if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, then you can be saved. Why? Because that's the price that has to be paid so that our identity can be returned to us. It's the identity that God established before the foundation of the earth. It's what every human being is supposed to walk in, a full identity in Christ. But at the end of the day, he gives us free will and we get to choose whether we accept it or not. So if today you would say, I'm ready for the proof of the cross and the pay price that was paid there to give me the ultimate DNA test that once again returns my identity of who I was created to be back to Christ. And you know you need to do that. I wanna pray with you. And if you're ready to admit it, I want you to put your hand up right now. I need to accept Jesus today. As soon as I see you, you guys can put your hands down. Thank you. Yes, sir. anyone else? I need to accept Jesus today as my Lord and Savior. I'm away from him. Got it, thank you. Anyone else? Okay, so thankful for those couple of hands. God is good. Somebody's wrestling with the decision. I get that, it's okay. You raising your hand is not what gets you saved. It's the position of your heart. But if you're willing to step out and just trust him with that simple act of obedience, I promise you his grace is gonna hit your heart. Is there anyone else? I need to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, bro. Okay. You've admitted it. You've confessed that you need him. And I just wanna lead you in a simple prayer to respond. You just say this, Jesus, I need you. I recognize that. I recognize that my sin separates me from you. But I believe 
that you died on the cross for my sin. And I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you rose from the grave and you defeated sin and you defeated death. And I know that I'm still gonna make mistakes, but I know that your mercies are new every morning. And I know every time I make a mistake, I can turn back towards you and ask for forgiveness. And you're faithful to forgive me because of the cross. And I thank you that I'll also have the hope of heaven. And I'm thankful for that. But I also know that you've got something for me now and I wanna fulfill my purpose in you. So lead me by your spirit. Holy Spirit, would you fill me up? Holy Spirit, would you anoint me? Would you empower me with, first and foremost, the fruit of who you are, but also your gifts? I need you. Father, help me to be connected to the body of Christ so I can be encouraged and supported and challenged. I surrender my life to you. I repent from living for the world, for myself, and I turn towards you. Thank you. Father, I pray that all of us, Lord, would stay closely tethered and grounded in the truth of who we are in you. Our identity in Christ. We'd never turn away from it. And God, I pray that all of us would grow deeper in it. We're living in a time and a day and age where we need to be more confident and bold and strong in who we are in you than we've ever been before. So help our roots to go deep in you, deep in your word, deep in relationships so we can be who you've created us to be. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.